So, hey, grab your Bible and turn to the index page if you need to and find the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we'll be starting in verse 12 and give your attention to the reading of God's word today. Good morning. It's on page 617 of your Pew Bible located in front of you, if you guys want to, if you will read along. Um, And upon the conclusion of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you guys can respond with, thanks be to God. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is no more gain There is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten." How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he is a master of all for which I toiled and use, use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the to- all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with <clears throat> which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity." There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are glad that you're here today as we continue in the journey on Ecclesiastes. And if it's your first time here, um, we would direct you to our website. We're starting uh, the journey and in the journey in this Old Testament book. And it's considered ancient wisdom literature. And so maybe you didn't grow up in church, don't know a lot about the Bible, but the Bible is 66 books. It's sort of like a library. And there's genres. There's poetry. There are biographies of Jesus and the Gospels. And then there is wisdom literature, which we're in. And what we're learning is, is that the author, Solomon, was the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever live. And he had more money, more pleasure, more opportunity, and he was more successful than you and I would ever be. And what he does is he steps back and evaluates life. And he sort of, in in a way, says, you know, is is this God thing really that important? I mean, I know that it's supposed to be a big deal, but is it really that big of a deal? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assess life. I'm going to pursue everything in life, and I'm going to leave God out of the equation. I'm going to do it all on my own. I'm going to pursue everything. And at one point, he says, whatever my eyes saw, I did not keep from me. I mean, it's almost like eating at Ryan's buffet, right? I mean, just whatever you see, you partake in, right? And he says, you know, I've come to a conclusion. 
that um, when you leave God out of the equation, it all just tends to be vanity. It's, it's fleeting. There's, there's nothing really to grasp. And last week, he, he looked at the idea of pleasure and enjoyment. And, and we learned that God has given us pleasure, and the point of pleasure is to point us to, to him. And, and today, Solomon is, is going to take us on a journey that's very, very relevant. For, for I think in 2019, um, sort of the thrust and the main goal is get a good education, um, get a college degree, get a really, really good job, and work really, really hard because that is what life is all about. And even now, you can talk to kids who are freshmen and sophomores in high school, and they feel the immense amount of pressure of, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? You know, some of them can't even shave yet, right? And it's like these big life decisions. And um, what Solomon does today is sort of kind of like what our oldest Roman did one day. This is a picture of Roman with one of his toys and we were at the house, and he came into the living room, and he said, Hey, Dad, where's the screwdriver? And I said, it's, it's in the drawer in the kitchen. And then he got it and went back to his room, and I thought, Wait a second. <laughs> well, you need a screw. You're seven. We need a screwdriver for. And so I went in his room, and he was taking apart one of his toys. And I said, What are you doing? He said, I wanted to know how it worked, Right? Any of you like that growing up, right? I want to know how it worked. How does it light up? And what Solomon does today is he takes the topic of of wisdom and work and he rips it apart. And he says, I want to know how this actually works. What what is the point of this and and what is the end goal? So we're going to look at, at wisdom and then we're going to look at work. And then verses 24 through 26, he's really going to nail down what really matters. So the first thing that he says is wisdom. Look at what he says there in verse 12. So I turned to consider wisdom. What he's saying is, hey, listen, I'm on this journey in life, and I'm exploring everything that everybody says that matters. And so now I'm turning to wisdom, higher education, head knowledge. And I turned to consider that and folly For what can man do who comes after the king? What we've learned is that Solomon is king over Jerusalem and that he was so successful that other kings traveled to him to get wisdom and knowledge. But I think before we continue, it's it's helpful to define what wisdom is. Um, The Bible talks about wisdom, and we're in wisdom literature a certain way, and when we hear it today in 2019 in Western culture, what we think is sort of intellect, right? IQ in regards to wisdom. But that's not how the ancient Middle East understood wisdom. Here's, here's an equation for you. Information minus application equals foolishness. So, so even in Jesus' words, um, anybody who, who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house upon the rock. But anybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them is an idiot. And I'm just quoting Jesus, all right? That's what he says, okay? And so in, in, Middle, ancient, in, in Middle Eastern ancient understanding, this, this is the equation, Information plus application equals wisdom. It's, 
It's applying the knowledge that we know. Because in applying knowledge, there is an experience gained that you can only know and learn after you've applied it. And I think sort of as a 2019 parable, there's a very famous scene in a very famous movie, um, Robin Williams and Matt Damon. Matt Damon is, is a genius. He is an orphan in Boston. And he is off the charts smart. But the problem is, is that he doesn't let anybody get close in his life because he's afraid to get hurt. So, so he's gone through multiple psychologists, multiple counselors, and he encounters Robin Williams in the movie. And Robin Williams is also from Boston. And Matt Damon in a scene rips Robin Williams' life apart. I mean, makes him look like a fool. And Robin Williams takes him to a pond and sits him down. And he says these words. I thought about what you said to me the other day and about my life. I stayed up half the night thinking about it and then something occurred to me. And I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and I haven't thought about you since. Do you know what occurred to me? You're just a dumb kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. You've never even been out of Boston, have you? So if I asked you about art, you would probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo and his life's work, political aspirations and all of those things. But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling and seen that. If I asked you about women, you would probably give me all of this information, but you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up to a woman, next to a woman, and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid, and if I asked you about war, you would probably throw Shakespeare at me once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one, and you've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. I'd ask you about love. You'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable, known that someone that could level you just with her eyes and feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel and to have the love for her and be there for whatever through anything through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours doesn't apply to you. You don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you've loved something more than you loved yourself. I doubt that you've ever dared to love anybody much like that. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. And no one could possibly understand the depths of you, but you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting in my office and you ripped my life apart. You're an orphan, right, Will? Do you think I would know the first thing about how hard your life has been because I read Oliver Twist? Does that encapsulate you? I don't care about all of that. Because you know all of that. But I can't learn anything from you that I can't read in a book unless you want to open up and talk about you. That's the difference of intelligence and wisdom.
And I think for our generation, my generation, we need that. We need somebody who's wise to sit us down and say, shut your mouth and listen about some things. And you might have some political aspirations and some ideologies and this about education and that about this. But you need to understand that there are some things in life that you can't know until you've applied and time has gone by. You see, that's good for us in 2019. And what Solomon is going to do is he's going to sit us down and he's going to say wisdom, education, all of those things. Let me tell you a little bit about that. And the first thing that he tells us is this. Wisdom, it, it does help you walk through life. Wisdom and education is a good thing, and it does help you walk through life. Look at what he says in verse 13. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So, so, so he's giving us a little bit of a parable. Here's what he's saying. Wisdom is good. Education is a good thing. Um, It's sort of like someone who's walking around in a room with the lights on. That's like a person who has wisdom versus a person who's walking around in a dark room. That's that's foolishness. Um, Do you remember when when Pokemon Go came out? We're real deep in the sermon now. Theological. We're in it now, right? So so, so this game came out, and and it's on your phone, and and you travel around, and on your phone, it shows the landscape, but then you got to catch these Pokemon and do all of this. What's interesting is when this game came out, there was multiple reports of wrecks and accidents and everything like that because people are playing the game as they're driving their car, right? Like, i got to get the Pokemon. Ah, bridge, ah, right? Solomon says some of us, listen, some of us are walking around like that. And this is a word for some of us. Um, I think in the church, we we use God sort of as an excuse and justification like, oh, well, I'm praying about it and I'm just trying to discern his will and I'm fleecing it. I'm throwing a fleece out there, right? And, you know, know, my finances are difficult right now, but I'm praying about it. Oh, oh, no, well, you don't need to pray about it. Um, You had $100, and you bought something that cost $150. That was dumb. End of financial class. All right, next. Okay, right? And what Solomon is saying is, hey, listen, some of us need to read a book. We need to understand and apply the information that we know. Listen, we we said this last week. You live in a time and in an era when you have the most information applicable to you at any given moment, at any point in history of all humankind. I mean, it's unbelievable. What we need to do is have less information and more application of that information. That's where true wisdom lies. So Solomon says, number one, wisdom's good. You should get that. For some of us, we need to apply that to our life. But then he says this, wisdom can't win against death. He says, I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Verse 16, oh, how the wise dies just like the fool. For some of us, this is a word. 
because we think if we can get more information, I can find the angle, and this is always going to get me ahead in life, and if I can do this and then get the right people in positions and then delegate this, this person doesn't know this is coming, and I've got the education, I've got the information, I've got the inside thing. I have meetings before the meeting, and then I have meetings after the meeting to determine how the meeting is going to go within the meeting, right? And so it's always this and always that, and Solomon says, yeah, that's good to a degree, but... In the end, a wise person and a foolish person end up at the same place. Um, we, we went on a family vacation, and we went to Disney World. Actually, it was a family trip, because when your kids are with you, you supervise their vacation, right? That's kind of what you do. And um, I, I learned about the fascinating thing of a fast pass at Disney World, right? So it's awesome. It's this cool thing where you blow by 500 people in a line, and you're like, I got a fast pass, but a whoop, and then you get to the front of the line. It's super cool, right? Disney is a genius for doing this. Well, one time, we wanted to ride Space Mountain again, and we didn't have a fast pass for it. So we waited in the normal line, right, just sort of like cattle getting shuffled up to the gate. And there were a group of guys behind us, and they were talking. And they were like, man, we can just, we already went by the, 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 the fast pass check-in. We can just hop this rail and then get in the fast pass line and just keep going. And I'm watching Roman as he is watching and listening to them. And I'm like, we're about to have a life lesson up here, right? <laughs> like, I just let him listen. Uh, and he's listening. And, and he looks at me like, I want to ask dad if we can do that, right? <laughs> and we get up to it. And there's another fast pass check-in. And the guys were like, oh, because if we would have hopped the rail, we still would have ended up at this point and not been able to get on the ride. What Solomon is saying is no matter what you do in life, listen, look up here, look up here. There is no shortcut. There's no shortcut. I don't care how much money you make. I don't give a rip what your last name is and how you think that's going to let you fly in Butler County. I don't care about that. You're going to die. And in the end, that's where all roads are leading. So what Solomon is saying about wisdom and education is this. It's good, but it's not ultimate. Wisdom and education is good, and yes, we need more of it and less Pokemon Go. But at the end of the day, that is not the ultimate thing. So let us be weary and let us be careful of putting all eggs in this basket and saying, this, this is what life's about. Solomon's been there. He said, wisdom's good, but it's not ultimate. So now let's shift gears and do what he does in the text and look at work. Now he drops down in verse 16. I hate, I'm sorry, 18, I hated all the toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 20, so I turned and I gave my heart up to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun. Here's something that that we sort of need to do. Work, um, We have to have a theology of work and understanding of it. If we're Christians and we say that the Bible affects every area of our life, for some reason when it comes to work, we just detach ourselves from that. 
So down with the lazy Christian at work who's always late, who's always looking for shortcuts, who's always switching jobs and afraid of commitment and all of that. Down with that. We should not be that way as Christians. Why? Because when we go back to Genesis and the creation account, work was actually given by God before the fall before sin entered into the world. Look at what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It's always been God's plan and design for us created in the image and likeness of God that he would partner with his creation in humanity to work and to keep a part of his creation. So work is a pre-fall thing. And that doesn't make you that happy, right? You're like, wah, wah. So, so what's happened? I mean, look at the words that he uses. Toil, despair, labor. What has happened from before the fall that we were supposed to work hard and enjoy that to now after the fall, it's like the grinding of the salt mines. Well, in Genesis 3, it it tells us, God says this after the fall to Adam. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Here it is. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. And and I feel like God should have put and chiggers. Thorns and thistles and chiggers. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. But here it is, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For ground you were taken, and to the ground you shall return. Now it fights back. Now now the command was not to tame the Garden of Eden, but to work it and to keep it. But now that sin, this is the devastation of sin, right? It's not a private affair in your life that you don't want to talk about in community group. It affects everything, even the ground. And now it fights back. And now mankind has to work against it. I was talking to a guy who who owns some acreage and and he was cleaning some of the back 40 up. And he said just everything. Every day I go out with brush and it fights back and all of these cuts on my arm. Every time you mow your lawn in agony, you should think of sin, right? Because now it's changed. We want to get something out of work that work cannot offer us. But but we want to tame it. And we want to try to... And then it kicks back and it's this great toil by the sweat... So, so what is it about it that makes it so tough about work? Well, Solomon says this first, um, work's never finished. <laughs> it's never done. It's never done. Look at what he says there in verse 23. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Man, that's a big word. It means an aggravation, literally is the word vexation. Why? Because it's never done. Think about it. Are you done with laundry? Are you? How about the dishes? Done with those? 
No. Are you really ever done? There's, there's a cycle of things that is happening in life, what Solomon says, and you work with the understanding of taming what is untamable. So you get done with the one job and you're bidding on another job already. And then you lay down at night and what happens? Well, Solomon tells you at the end of verse 23, even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Why can't you rest? Because it's never done. So if you give your life and say that work is what it's all about, you're exhausted from that because you are a gerbil on the wheel. That never stops. And Solomon says, I've accomplished more in my life building buildings and doing all of this that will live after me, and it's still never done. But there's even a problem when I'm gone. Work is never finished, but then this, your work is never lasting. It's, it's never lasting. Even someone like Solomon, who built buildings and did all of this that would live generations after him, he says this, I hated all my toil in verse 18 in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And then I love this verse 19. The Bible's hilarious. Look at verse 19. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, right? I worked so, like this is a great word for for you who think you're going to leave an inheritance or something to your kids. The Bible says that's a good thing. A wise man leaves an inheritance to his kids' kids. But it also says there's a chance that your kids' kids are going to be idiots. (laughs) So you can work. You can leave the inheritance you should. That's a good thing. And they're going to squander it, okay? (laughs) On like candy or something like that. Your whole life you worked. And they bought a boat, right? And there it is, right? This is interesting. Um, Do any of you recognize the name Orville and Ruth Larimore? Maybe one or two, no? Orville and Ruth Larimore were the first pastors of Westside in 1964. You didn't remember their name. But you're here. It was so humbling for me this week to understand this. You know why? There were pastors before me, and there will be pastors after me. Solomon is saying, know your place and know your role. Yes, we should work hard because God has given to uh, us this even before the fall. And by the way, um, God works pretty hard too, right? And so if we're created in his image and likeness, yes, but work is good, but it's not ultimate. You cannot build your life just on wisdom, education, the enlightenment, knowledge, all of that. And you can't build it on work because it's never done and it's not lasting. But then he shifts in verse 24. Look at the text. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Here it is. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Did you know that in our journey, he has not mentioned God since chapter 1, verse 14? What has he done? He said, okay, 
Those of you who are not big on God, on the Bible, that's fine. I'll go there with you. See, one of the things about Ecclesiastes is he's begging you that you have to have an answer to your statements. So he's going to keep driving you on those things. Well, you know, I'm not doing this. I had a family member one time who was in church, and they did some crazy stuff. And now I'm just, I don't trust any church. And I understand that. I'm so sorry for your experience, okay? I mean, goodness gracious, we don't need any more reproach brought upon the name of Christ. But Solomon is going to keep pressing you on that conclusion. Oh, yeah? Then what's your worldview? What are you going to teach your kids? What are you going to do when your kid asks you, what do you do after you die, Daddy? Hey, Dad, why is this right and why is this wrong? Hey, Mom, why should we use money this way? Solomon's going to just keep pressing you and pressing you and pressing you. And when you leave God out of the equation, your result is vanity. But then he says, but then there's a way that you can view things. You can view it as from the hand of God. Which tells me this, Solomon's whole argument has been leading up to this point. Life is pointless if you are trying to produce what God has already provided. Why are you trying to find this meaning and find this purpose and produce all of this when God has already provided that? It's from the hand of God. Here it is, verse 25. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And then Solomon says this in verse 26. For to the one who pleases God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner... Uh Uh-oh. Solomon, it's 2019. We don't call people sinners, okay? There's not categories of people, Solomon, all right? Solomon says, hey, you can split it however you want. But there are those who please God and those who do not. This should beg a question of you. What's the question? How do we please God? Be careful with your answer. Be very careful. Well, I don't drink, cuss, chew, or go with girls that do. That's what pleases God. Mm. It's a little shallow. You see, up until this point, up until this point, who have we not mentioned? Jesus. You see, we live on this side of the cross. And the New Testament teaches us that where has God provided all of these things for us? That he's provided them for us in Christ. That 1 Corinthians teaches that Jesus is the wisdom and knowledge of God. That that's why the world thinks it's foolish. Of course, Elon Musk thinks it's a joke that we believe that the eternal God of the universe wrote himself into the story of a homeless man in the Middle East of Nazareth and that he was crucified by the local government for claiming to be God and was buried, but three days later rose again. Of course, that is foolish to the world because that looks like the opposite of where all wisdom and knowledge should be found but that is our God 
That all of that is available in Christ. That Jesus is not only the wisdom and knowledge of God, but only Jesus' work is finished. What does he say in John 19? The only guy in the Bible to say it. Nehemiah couldn't finish the wall. Solomon left his work to someone else. They could march around with the trumpets and do all of that. Moses could give the people of God the Ten Commandments and then turn his back and they still built a golden calf. There is only one person in all of the Bible who breathed his last and said, It is finished. It is paid in full. There is no more effort that you have to put forth to please God because you could never do that. So God took the burden upon himself. That is grace that God had the requirement. God, God made the own payment and then he offers it freely to his rebellious creation. So if you want the satisfaction and to continue what Solomon said, if you want to lay your head down at night, and rest, you find that in Christ. Only Jesus' work is finished. And then the last thing is this, that only Jesus offers true joy. (laughs) Listen, satisfaction is contingent upon your circumstances, right? So when McDonald's, God forbid, gives you your fries in two minutes and not in one, we lose our minds, That's because you think contentment is contingent upon your circumstances. Joy is contingent upon Christ. And listen, let's draw out our theology. If Jesus Christ is resurrected and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will never die because he has already beat death. And as Hebrews says, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus never changes and my joy is in Jesus, then that means that my joy never changes. Listen, the greatest way to crush your marriage is to say that you want all of your joy to come from your marriage. The greatest way to crush your work is to try to get out of your work what it will never give to you. Life is pointless if you are trying to produce what God has already provided in Christ. And so as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, there is only one application today. And it is simply this. To look to Christ. To look to Jesus. There is no one like you. There is no one who is so truthful to me in my life that he will look at me square in the eyes of my soul and say, Jason, no, don't go that way. Jason, that leads to death. But at the very same time, with those eyes, he fully knows me and fully knows all of my failures, but at the same time, fully loves me. And says, Jason, there's nothing that you can do that would make me unlove you. Listen, if you don't have that in your life, your life is pointless because you're trying to produce. And listen, you're so exhausted. You're so exhausted from that. And today we get to come and partake in the elements and we find his body broken and his blood shed. I want you to come today with so many burdens of work, of life, of conflict, of all. I want you to come today with those heavy laden. And I want you to leave them 
and I want you to pick up the body of Christ and his blood shed. And I want you to come back and I want you to sing differently than you sung before because now our hearts have been encouraged and we have heard the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is it is finished. So now we sing of the grace and we sing of the love And we sing and say that nothing is so dead that it cannot be resurrected. And no addiction is so strong that it cannot be broken. And nothing is so hopeless that when you insert God, that there is now hope eternal. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're thankful for your word that admonishes us. For some of us, we need wisdom. We need to apply this knowledge to our life. I don't know what anybody's going through today, but you know the obedience that you're calling and begging them to today. We have many questions about that act of obedience, God, and we confess that. But what you tell us is the answer to the question is on the other side of obedience. So I pray for boldness today. God, I pray, I'm so thankful for our church family and the workers and the laborers and the business owners and the factory workers and the school teachers and the police officers and everybody that works and labors so hard. I pray today they hear announced over their life that it is finished. That they would turn their eyes from the work that they are trying to get ultimate satisfaction from and that they would look to Calvary and they would look to an empty tomb and they would find rest. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious and in the perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the elements as you feel led today?